The Forum at 8 with Polani Gwala. It is eight and a half after eight. A very good morning to you and a warm welcome to the Forum at 8 here on SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. Well, this morning we are looking at um, the issue of reform, electoral reform in this country. It's been raised by a number of political parties, especially opposition parties now. What you heard last week was the Democratic Alliance introducing a private member's bill in Parliament. They want to replace the current electoral proportional list system of representation with a mixed system system involving both a proportional list and a constituency-based system. The DA says the introduction of a constituency element into the electoral system will ensure that MPs are directly accountable to the electorate. Well then, we've decided to bring in experts to come and talk to us about these systems that are out there. Which one will benefit us the most? I'm talking, to, I'm talking about us as voters here. And, and of course, why do we have the kind of systems that we have? There are, there's a background to the system that we have here. Uh, it wasn't just chosen. There were reasons why we ended up with the kind of system that we, we do. But then moving forward, what, what are the issues? What are the options? And why should we choose whatever uh, electoral system that we ultimately are going to choose? Right then, we would like to hear what your thoughts are on these issues. Um, you can send us an email at gwalax.sabc.co.za gwalax.sabc.co.za uh, Send us a text message at 34701 34701. Uh, a little later on, of course, we'll be taking your questions on the you can give us a call on 0891 104208. Let me introduce my, introduce my guests here uh, in the program then. Let me start with Mr. Paul Graham. He's Executive Director of the Institute for Democracy in South Africa, Idasa. Mr. Graham, nice seeing you again. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you very much for your time. Also here with us in the studio, uh, making an appearance, Dr. John Strimler. We haven't seen him here in a while. He's the Vice President of Peace Programs at the Jimmy Carter Center. A very good morning to you, Dr. Strimler. Good morning. Good morning. It's nice to be here. Ah, good one. I'm going to ask you a minute, in, in a minute about your, your, your Kenya observation, because you were observing the elections in Kenya. Yes. Uh, let me introduce my other guest then from our Pretoria studios, Numpumele Lorunji, a researcher and public policy analyst. Numpumele, good morning. Good morning, Kulani, and morning to your listeners. Ah, thank you very much. I really appreciate your time, Ms. Runji. Uh, Again, I just mentioned that I'm going to ask you a little bit about your, your, your mission to Kenya. Uh, actually, you've got an article, a uh, column that you've written for the Business Day here. One of the things that you said, I, and I may, I may be misinterpreting it, was that perhaps it was a bit too early for President Zuma to congratulate the winner? Well, that was my view, and the headline that they gave the article is the right one. That is, Kenya celebrates uh, the election. Mm. We should celebrate the election, but not necessarily the winner, because there is going to be challenges from the loser, and we should allow the court process, which both candidates have pledged their support for. They're not going to take to the streets. They promise peace. Let the courts carry out their procedures, and then we will celebrate the definitive winner. Uh, at the moment, Kenyatta's ahead, and he's the He's going to be the president. It could be inaugurated unless a court challenge works. So, so it may very well be that President Jacob Zuma jumped the gun here, and it may, may perhaps lead to some complicated uh, diplomatic issues in the, in the future. Well, I may have jumped a little quickly because I've read the statement now. When I saw that he was congratulating uh, Kenyatta, I wanted to make the larger point, which mm. is we want to celebrate the process. Um, but the statement itself is uh, one of congratula congratulations mainly for the Kenyan people, which I think is a right tribute to make. They performed magnificently, peacefully, patiently, 
in a very complex reform system that defied easy understanding with with electronic biometric poll books and all sorts of new innovations, new constituencies, new constitution, hmm. and it worked. It's interesting, and it, it brings it brings me back then to our discussion here this morning about our electoral system in this country. What electoral system are they using there? Is it a direct representation, proportional representation, or is it constituency-based? It's constituency-based, and it's very familiar to uh, my experience in the United States. We have constituency-based voting where you look at the candidate and decide whether you like him or not. The chances of who you get, though, to run because the way the parties have manipulated the state legislatures to redraw the boundary lines for these constituencies amounts to voter suppression. And I mention that only because the United States has been doing this kind of stuff for 250 years and we still don't get it right. You know, it's an ongoing process. Citizens have to be alive to and awake to. Otherwise, people are going to steal their votes because power is power. Interesting. Uh, uh, Mr. Graham, let me, let me perhaps go backwards. The kind of system that we have in this country, please explain to, to uh, a South African, what kind of system do we have and why should it be reformed if it needs to be? Kulani, we, um, we have what's called technically a closed list proportional representation system. And that means that, that parties put forward their candidates in a list uh, we as voters vote for the party. The Electoral Commission then uh, calculates the number of votes for each party as a proportion of the number of votes that are cast mm -hmm. by everybody. And it then gives an allocation to each party based on that proportion. So if you get 40% of the seats uh, of the votes cast, you'll end up with 40% of the seats. It does have a little bit of a, a, a wrinkle in it because we have a national list and we have a provincial list. And so there's an attempt to encourage uh, more representation at a regional level, even in the national parliament. But, of course, then we also vote for the, for the provincial legislatures as well. Um, what that means is that the parties have control over who those candidates are and when they get to Parliament, the party has control over what those candidates do. And that makes it very difficult for, for the members of Parliament to stand firm on their own principles, and it makes it difficult for people at a local level to point to a particular person and say, that's our candidate. There have been attempts to encourage uh, parliamentarians to take up geographic representation. For example... Um, a very well-known uh, member of parliament for the ANC, Mr. Turok, considers himself the member of parliament for Musenberg, and it works very well. People actually know him and, and work with him on local issues, but mostly they don't, and I think that's the weakness. Right, but there's, there's history to the kind of system that we have. Uh, as far as I remember, the reason why it was chosen was simply because some people had been in exile, and we're not known in communities, so you wouldn't have expected communities to, to, to elect them under the constituency-based system. So you needed to have political parties at least then controlling the process. Is that correct? Well, that's part of it. Mm -hmm. But part of it is that we understand that in 1948, the National Party took over power in this country with a minority of votes. And they did it because in a constituency-based system, if you are careful about 
the boundaries of those constituencies and you win each constituency one by one by one by one, even if you have less than 50% of the votes, you can still have more than 50% of the seats. So there was a great deal of caution in this country about returning to that type of first-past-the-post system. And so we looked for alternatives. We also looked for alternatives because in the PR system, even if ordinary people are nervous about women being MPs, for example, a party can choose to make sure that more women become MPs. Even if... uh, the majority of people in a country are of a particular group. The party can ensure that other groups are represented. So it was an attempt to build a, an inclusive system. So it wasn't purely because exiles might not get seats. There mm. were many other reasons. Very interesting reasons. And let me bring you in then, Ms. Runja, because uh, do these reasons still not apply today? Are they still not valid then? Why are people talking about reforming the electoral system? Well, the discussion of electoral reform in this country has been um, placed under the rubric of promoting accountability because uh, the current proportional representation system is seen not to promote um, connectedness between uh, members of parliament and the communities that they represent or those who voted them into power. Um, however, the values that uh, the proportional representation system promotes, uh, that which has been mentioned, representativity, inclusiveness, fairness, uh, simplicity, are still very much relevant in our current political context. We must remember that the choice of electoral system is actually informed largely by a country's socio-political and historical context. And because we come um, from a divided past, the adoption of uh, proportional representation was appealing because it was seen as best to promote representation, promote the, and also to include uh, and accommodate minorities in, 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 our, in our government and political system. I suppose the question I'm asking is, is whether or not that the, the discussion then about the reform itself is, is relevant, given the fact that some may argue the socio-political conditions still persist today. You've got to deal with issues of transformation. You've got to make sure that uh, so-called minorities are also involved and that women, for instance, are also, as we heard from Mr. Graham a while ago. It is relevant to the extent that there is a deficit, a perceived deficit and perhaps a real deficit of accountability. There is a a growing gap between communities and their leaders and this we have seen and witnessed in various um, events and developments in our country including the large number of service delivery protests that we see, including the um, unrest in, in in our mining sector where uh, miners reject leadership, you know, um, the current leadership. So there's a perceived disengagement of communities from the political system. There's a growing gap between um, um, leaders and, and, and those who elect them. So in that um, um, context, yes, the discussion is relevant. Mm. However, it does not uh, diminish the value uh, and, and, and the reasons that were given for the adoption of proportional representation. I suppose the next question is whether or not should the, that deficit that you've spoken about, should it be addressed by electoral reform or are there other ways of addressing it, i.e., for instance, uh, making sure that political parties 
uh, encourage the uh, members of parliament to, to interact more with communities. Uh, and, and Mr. Graham had a, an example of um, uh, Professor Turok, for instance, if political parties were to promote that kind of interaction between communities and, and uh, MPs. Um, yes, the answer does not lie um, solely in electoral reform. Because the principle of accountability is already enshrined in our constitution. We have separation of powers, we have an independent judiciary, we have independent oversight institutions that monitor the actions and performance of governments. So they just needs, they, they, there needs to be a tweaking of some of that. Um, there needs to be a will to uphold and respect the, and implement the recommendations and sanctions declared by these institutions, for instance. And also in our proportional representation system, uh, the responsibility actually lies with political parties, like you're saying, to encourage their members to be responsive to the communities that elected them. All right, uh, uh, Dr. Strimla, let me bring you in then, uh, your experience. Should we even be considering electoral reform then, or should we be saying, well, let's take what the system we have at the moment, uh, make sure that it is perfect, that make sure that it works for the voter? It's, it's very difficult because you've got real vested interests trying to get access ah. to wealth hmm. in order to advance their own cause or their own well-being. So that when you see in the United States, for example, um, direct accountability to the elected officials at the local level, the way in which the state legislatures or the political parties are able, through their majority rule at, say, a higher-up level, mm -hmm. isolate those communities, African-American communities, so that those communities have their person in Congress, but the Congress is, in fact, skewed in favor of the dominant party, so that you have in the last congressional election that, that uh, Obama was part of, at the legislative level, you have the Republicans controlling the House of Representatives, mm -hmm. and the Democrats got more votes. Mm -hmm. When you see that gap, you know something's wrong. One vote should be equal to every other vote. And it's that disparity that you want to try to narrow, and that takes hard work because there are going to be strong vested interests opposing it at all levels. So this kind of discussion becomes very important for mobilizing from the grassroots up. Uh, Mr. Graham, your, your thoughts on whether or not the answer lies with electoral reform? And by the way, we should point out that those that are suggesting electoral reform are saying adopt the two system, not just either or. Yes, people who are promoting electoral reform are constrained by our constitution because uh, the election law is, is not, a it's not part of the constitution. It can be changed by a simple majority. But the constitution basically says that the outcome of any election has to be, in general, proportional. I mean, the clause says it results in, in, in general in proportional representation. So that's the constraint. So whatever system you, you want to promote, it has to have an outcome which is proportional, and there are many ways of doing that. Um, the, the, the problem with those who, who are promoting election reform is that you, they are doing it um, from an opposition point of view. Therefore, it's perceived as an attempt to figure out how to undermine mm. the majority uh, party rather than an attempt to figure out how to make a better political and democratic culture in the country. And that's because, and that's probably because they are not uh, saying anything about using the current system to improve accountability, uh, only talking a lot about electoral reform. Is that, and, that be the and, case? and we do have a mixed, uh, mixed system at local government level. And I think the, 
uh, no one wants to talk about that because everyone understands just how uh, weak and fractious and uh, contentious local government is. But in the local government system, we have a, a, a mixed system in which half the people are there in wards, which are basically many constituencies, and half the people are there through their party. And that has not resulted in the main in better representation, even though it's closer to people. So we have to we have to deal with the whole system. We have to accept that if you don't like the way a party behaves, there is accountability. You don't have to vote for them, for example. Mm. Um, uh, party bosses have to take responsibility for, for what happens to their members and how their members behave. And there are alternatives. And if you if citizens haven't figured out how to make use of all those alternatives, changing the electoral system alone is not going to, to help that. Very important point uh, that you're just making about the fact that it already exists at, at a certain tier of government, sphere of government. 0891 uh, please give us a call. Tell us what you think about uh, the, this discussion going on. Electoral reform. 25 after 8. Let me just quickly go to Gift in Port Elizabeth, who's already called. Gift, good morning. Hi, Polani, and hi to your guest. Hi. Look, look, Polani, I think first and foremost we must agree that uh, our movement adopted the current PR system, Polani, after 1984 because we wanted to have an inclusive system that is representative of minority views in the interest of an inclusive transition. Secondly, Polani, the PR system has facilitated representative institutions with a special focus on women, rural communities, and other targeted groups such as people living with disabilities, the elder and the youth. Thirdly, Polani, the same PR system is accommodated or even smaller parties, thereby ensuring participatory democracy, Tlalani. So I'm, I'm of the view, Tlalani, lastly, that those who have advocated for a change to the constituency system has consistently ignored its associated disadvantages to representative and participatory democracy. And I think that is also missing in this debate because, contrary to the arguments of its proponents, it does not guarantee improved accountability this, this two-party, this constituency system, because at the end of the day, there must be accountability to public representation, but which is also to me a critical feature of a democracy, which is not dependent solely on the electoral system. Okay. All right, let's give in Portland. I'll take more calls. 0891104288. Ms. Rungi, let me bring you in about uh, there not being guarantees that even if you were to introduce this new system, then you'd have uh, a lot more accountability from, from uh, members of parliament. Yes, um, I, I, I agree with that statement. Um, Electoral systems are only one of many democratic institutions. And the, account, uh, the outcomes of an electoral system in terms of what they produce in, in the political system uh, are influenced by many other things. Um, the constitutional arrangements of a country, the democratic institutional frameworks. So changing the electoral system does not necessarily and will not necessarily guarantee um, greater accountability. Um, Many things have been said about what what could be done within this system, the yeah. current system that we have. Yeah. There's a lot that can be done to encourage accountability. Such as? Um, some have been mentioned. The responsibility of political parties to, to ensure that their members are responsive uh, to, to communities. Um, the political parties are the ones that uh, put people on the list, put, put people forth on the list. They could do more in terms of vetting their candidates, vetting the people and individuals that they uh, put forward for, for, for public office. Um, we 
could also use a stronger opposition that uh, actually uh, uh, provides or, or presents um, concrete alternatives to the ruling party, uh, which gives uh, the voter greater choice so that they're able to decide at the polling booth uh, who it is that they want to, 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 sure. to govern the country. So there are many ways of... Um, strengthening accountability without necessarily changing the electoral system. All right, Mr. Graham, uh, let, let me ask you specifically about what the DA is proposing here. Uh, I'm not sure if you've uh, applied your mind to specifics here, but let me just read this one, for instance. In terms of the bill that they put through to Parliament, the, the private members' bill, they're saying 103 member constituencies would be established, which would elect 300 MPs, while 100 representatives would be allocated from the national list of political parties on the basis of the proportion of the total votes they obtained in the election. It sounds very complex. What does it mean? Um, okay, what they would do is they would carve up the country into 100 um, little geographic areas. Let's call them constituencies. Mm-hmm. They, presumably they would try and make them equal in uh, population size, which means they'll be different in land size, obviously. And then in each of those, you would vote for a party, um, and the, 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 the votes would be counted, and uh, they would be uh, proportionally uh, distributed so that three people went to parliament from that little geographic area. So um, that you end up with 300 members of parliament. So you end up with 300, and then the party votes would be counted nationally, and you would then top up the system. The problem with such small constituencies with three members is obviously... The two dominant parties are going to pretty much wrap up all the seats, and it's going to definitely have an impact on some of the smaller parties. That's the one, the one problem. Um, the other problem is um, geographic size. So every system that you introduce has its own weaknesses, and it has its own consequences mm. for the political culture in the long term. One of the consequences of our present system is that you have very long national lists it's very hard for a voter to go through a list of 400 names and say um, who these people are. So some PR systems in some parts of the world, they, they, they have slightly smaller areas, maybe provincial or district. So the voter only has to look at 20 names, and they can get to know who those 20 people are and make their judgment not only on the party but on the individuals who that party puts forward. Um, uh, the Fonsell Slobbert Commission... Mm. Um, used a similar approach to what's called a multi-member system, but it used the districts and as the basic uh, building block of that system. And I think, actually, it merit. If you're interested in that type of electoral reform, like the DA are interested, they should look closely, closely at the Fonsell Slabit Commission as Thank a you. way forward. All right. We'll probably get some questions about the Fonsell Slabit Commission and whatever happened to the report that they put together. Uh, some saying it's gathering dust somewhere uh, in, in government offices. What we'll do is we'll take our updates. <coughs> I beg your pardon, Bismuthia. Be sure, Mike Newlands, a couple of uh, emails coming through at Gwala X at sabc.co.za and emails as well. Um, uh, and SMS is at 34701. We'll look at all of those in a minute. But first, let's get your news update. We'll start with Fabakshnich. The Forum at 8 with Kolani Gwala.
We're talking about uh, suggested electoral reforms and your thoughts then on 0891104208. I'll go to the lines in a minute, but let me just read one or two SMSs and, and uh, get thoughts here uh, from uh, Professor Strimlau because uh, he's got some interesting insights from Kenya about some of the issues that have already come through on the program so far. You know, uh, Anthony has sent an SMS that says, uh, proportional representation brought the populists, Hitler and Mussolini, to power, uh, reminding people of what happened there historically. Uh, <laughs> Graham, you don't, you, don't, you don't agree with him there. Graham certainly doesn't agree. Anthony, I'll, I'll ask him to, to elaborate. Tell, tell me why he doesn't agree. Uh, there's Oli Simatebola uh, who says, May I congratulate the people of Kenya by hosting peaceful elections. I wish Zimbabweans can do the same. Uh, another one says, uh, We want a system of democracy where we vote for MPs and councillors uh, who live in our areas who can be con- uh, contacted, not people appointed by government because of who they are. That's Martha on SMS. Another SMS says, only way to have free and fair elections is for all political parties to receive the same amount of campaign funds and media coverage uh, or a level playing field. That's from Ish. Um, also, do away with politics in municipalities. Just infighting and people can't do the job, so poor service delivery. Run it like a business. That's from Murray. Uh, why do we need to cast secret ballots in a free and democratic society? Like all secrets, this leaves election results open to manipulation and abuse. Uh, there's also an SMS that says, my view is that accountability by political representatives uh, to the constituencies is the most important issue. What I have heard people talking about, among others, is the election of the president by the electorate itself because they seem to be unhappy about some of the candidates uh, put forward. That is Brian Matsuhi in Marapiane. Uh, let me just bring you in, uh, Professor Stimlau, because people are talking, for instance, about the minorities, transformation, and so on, and, and Kenya has got uh, a way of dealing with this. Well, what they tried to do during the reform process, Kalani, was for the underrepresentation of women to allocate one seat for every of the 14, uh, 47 counties to the legislature for women. Hmm. What the men then would say is, okay, that's your seat. They, they sort of ghettoized them. And mm-hmm. so the women ran against the women, and they lost everywhere else. So it did not advance women's rights, although it was very well intended. gets back to Paul's point about how this is an ongoing process, but you have to start with the assumption candidates run to win and parties run to win, and they do so by whatever means they can get away with. Mm-hmm. The, the SMS text about campaign finance is a good point to raise because in Kenya, it was estimated that the two leading parties, Odinga's party and Kenyatta's party, spent quarter of a bill, 25 billion shillings, that's $300 million for a poor country in that campaign. America's election system is absolutely totally corrupt by money. When Jimmy Carter ran 30 years ago against Ronald Reagan, it was all public finance. He didn't spend a dime of his own money. This time you can't run a, a presidential campaign begin with us than a billion dollars to think about. Mm. That's what's really distorting the opportunities to make a really responsive democratic system work, among other problems. Let's go to the lines at Nguaco in Johannesburg. Hello, Nguaco. Hello, welcome. I, I wanted to comment on this matter and uh, probably point out that uh, the proposed system by the Democratic Alliance might distort the will of the people. Because if you are going to go to uh, whatever geographic location you call, what or whatever, mm-hmm. that might not make the number of the people who voted for a particular uh, political party. I mean, the National Party in 1948 on elections on the basis of the same system 
not necessarily on the basis of the number of people who voted for the national party. And I think this is an attempt by the Democratic Alliance to deviate from the very democratic uh, principles that they allege they are supporting. All right, that's so, but, but uh, lastly, is that uh, people vote for particular set of principles, and this set of principles are embodied by political uh, organizations. So voting for an individual being might, might not necessarily uh, be a desirable thing, because that person is not accountable in terms of particular principles to a particular organization. And this is an attempt to... Uh, that democracy on the part of the democratic alliance. I thought that uh, that is what uh, we must point out. Okay, let's go. Going to Johannesburg. Thank you, uh, Mike in Newlands. Hello. Hello, Skalani. Yeah, hi. Thank you, Michael. Great show. I just want to well, agree with Gift. I think he's right. He's right about the way that the, then the why it was we had the list system. But unfortunately, what's happened is that the party, the ANC, has disappeared down a mire of corruption. It's probably one of the most corrupt parties in Africa now. And the trouble is that with this list system, it is now completely open to abuse. So the constituency system will be fantastic because you'll actually have the person that's in the constituency. He can look at his candidate, he can see his candidate, and he can talk to his candidate. And he will be able to make a judgment call as to whether he thinks that guy can stand him. And by the way, that candidate will then have to report back to his constituents and say, look, this is what I did, this is where I succeeded, and this is where I failed. And if he doesn't do a good job for whichever party he stands for, he will get thrown out and a new candidate will be elected. All right, Mike and Yulia, thank you. Thanks indeed. Uh, let me bring you in this discussion again, Ms. Runji. Uh, you know, I've heard people say at least the president then must be directly uh, elected. Is that another option, perhaps? Um, look, Polani, there, there are many options, and I think it's important to state that there is no such thing as the best electoral system. Uh, the system must be conducive uh, to the values and the principles that a society wants to emphasize and promote uh, at a specific time. So there are many proposals that can be made for electoral reform. Um, we, there, there has been a proposal to directly elect the president. Perhaps it would make uh, uh, more South Africans feel that he is a president for all South Africans. However, we must emphasize that point that there is no such thing as the best electoral system. Mm. Sigmund Randberg has sent an email. Uh, he says, Parliament is the core of democracy, but democracy cannot be served by members of Parliament who are appointed by a small clique of politicians and are centrally instructed from party headquarters on how to handle national crises and how to vote for legislation which has been shown to undermine the rule of law and also to override the Constitution. That is abuse of power, which would be reduced by Constitution-based election as proposed by the DA. That's what Sig is saying, Mr. Graham. There's a, there's a level of romanticism about other electoral systems on the basis that the grass is always greener elsewhere. But the reality is that in all, electoral, in all um, uh, countries, uh, parties uh, exercise control over their members hmm. and, and over their MPs, and they expect them to vote along party lines in, in most instances. Um, in a, in a constituency system, the one thing that, a, that an MP can do is, is resign and go back and stand as an independent and try and get in um, with local support. That very seldom actually happens. Mm. Um, uh, so, so party dominance will not be resolved by a constituency system. One has to be fair to the DA, though. The criticism of their system that they are uh, undermining democracy is, I think, 
untrue, and one has to also be fair to the ANC. This idea that the proportional system was designed to somehow um, protect the ANC or to introduce a dictatorship of the proletariat is absolute bunkum. The reality is if we had kept the, the old pre-apartheid system, the ANC would probably have won, if not every seat, almost every seat in the parliament. And so the fact that the ANC chose to, to also support a PR system should be lauded. So um, our, our colleague in Pretoria is correct. There is no best system, but what South Africans who are interested in the new system have to ask is, what do they really want to achieve out of a new system? Here's something, and uh, I'm going to come to you in a minute, uh, Dr. Strimlau, but I want to go back again to Ms. Runji because there's an example now being sent on email, and it's a story that we've been running here on, on SAFM this morning. Um, Mike Young has written to me, he says, For evidence, look no further than this morning's news report that an Eastern Cape official who has messed things up locally is to be redeployed to Parliament. Members of Parliament should be accountable to the voters. Ours see themselves as responsible to the party. The issue, again, I suppose, uh, that this issue raises, Ms. Runji, is that, you know, you've had a a mayor, you've had a deputy mayor in in this municipality, and it took the party bosses from Lutuli House to go there and and say to them, listen, guys, we actually are chucking you out of these positions, as opposed to people in the area making a decision about what to do with these particular uh, two officials. Well, Well, like I said earlier, The proportional representation system puts great responsibility on political parties to apply standards of accountability to their own officials. Um, In the same way, political parties um, may have their own interests, but they don't uh, exist for their own uh, interests alone. They also need support from the communities uh, from which they solicit votes. So it is important that... um, that the ANC was responsive to what the community wanted. And that's uh, a function also of the proportional representation systems, that political parties must have, must be responsive to what communities actually are saying and actually are demanding. Um, it's not to say that a constituency-based system would actually have given uh, uh, um, um, people in that community the power to remove that mayor, remove mm. that, that leader. It, it doesn't go... Uh, that, that 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 is not the the logical end. Um, it was mentioned earlier in this discussion that we must remember that every single uh, citizen in this country has the power to enforce accountability through their vote. Um, and whether or not it's a constituency-based system or proportional representation system, that power is still uh, in the hands of, of, of voters. Mm. Yes. All right, let me read some SMSs, by the way, before I go to the lines. Somebody says, councillors are directly elected by community members, yet councillors fail to account for their constitu- or to their con- constituencies. Uh, what then would make the DA's proposal system or proposed system work better? Suppose a point that already has come through here on the program. Billy Midran says, even if the DA gets, uh, gets in there, uh, as in now, will have to answer to the unelected bankers and corporations. Democracy is not freedom. Um, that's Billy in Midran uh, saying that bankers and uh, corporations, um, very well ruled system. Geo in Cape Town says, if the electoral system is democratic, put them nominees for election from the participating parties in the press before the actual election process. There's something interesting there. Pasekamakote says there's nothing wrong with South Africa's 
Zimbabwe's unitary electoral system. What we lack is quality vote. Uh, there's issues as well who says if ANC has 1.5 million card members, card carrying members who choose the president, why should only 3% of the population choose the president? Who speaks for the whole nation? Um, uh, also, somebody says, surely you are aware that this Labbed report has been gathering dust for years now. It was commissioned by Mbegi and then ignored. Uh, that SMS is coming through. Uh, uh, P1 says, any electoral system that puts candidates under close scrutiny will always put the ruling party at the disadvantage since, since it always feels dodgy people. That's P1 KZN. Right, let's go to Mzwandile. Eguru Mzwandile, good morning. Morning, Kualani, how are you? I'm very well, thanks for your call. I'm very well. You know, uh, my small contribution is that, look, the Democratic Party, we are going to elections now in 2014, they have issued adverts for people to become members of parliament. Democratic Alliance? Yes. Oh. Um, and, and, and I'm not quite sure how set, how those people will be able to, to be accountable to their party, because I'm not sure whether they are fair to the very system of the Democratic Party. Now, the, 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 the ANC, on the other hand, I think the system that uh, is currently in place, is, has been working for a new democracy, and I don't see why we need to change, because uh, the ANC is able to hold everyone accountable uh, who has been brought through the, this particular system. So I would really say that um, um, we must ensure that our democracy matures, mm. and, and let's build and, and see what is working other than to, to jump around. All right, my guest will respond to I'm not, you know, Obviously, they will weigh in about whether or not the ANC is able to hold everyone accountable, as, as you say. One or two emails, though, before we get these responses. Is Mbusi still on the line? Mbusi, good morning. Hi. I'm very well. Thanks for your call. Good. Look, I, I think uh, this is uh, a sign that, uh, what, what did they call it, Operation Fight Back, I think it's still continuing, but but let's look at at, at uh, the realities here. Mm. The current electoral system in South Africa works. What is lacking is a different dimension of of, of public participation, Golani, mm. where ordinary citizens take part in what government is doing. How many people go to legislators and participate in the budgetary processes or in any process? How many people go to municipalities and participate in that? Mm. I think we, we cannot, uh, at a stage where our democracy is still a teenager, try to adopt a policy, uh, electoral systems that will make us have hung parliament like you saw in Britain, where you're going to have a, a, a Wall Street dictating a, a American politics because whatever Obama wants to do, he needs to go to Congress. He needs to go there, cap in hand, to say, I need this thing. I think we, 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 we must continue with this because the proposal by the DA will die on arrival. It, it's not going to hold water. That's Mbosi. Thank you very much. Uh, one or two emails, Yogin Cape Town. The DA is always trying to reinvent the will uh, instead of maximizing what is currently in use. If they want to win more seats, they should try changing their policies uh, that seek to preserve minority interests. I also think that this latest proposal of the constituency system is their attempt to try and control wealthy urban areas that are predominantly populated by wealthy, previously advantaged minority groups. That's Yogin Cape Town on email. Now, the email came through from David Shabangu in Pumalanga, who says, as long as you have the three spheres of government and a fiscal framework that distributes national funding across this, uh, these three spheres of government, the proposed electoral reform will have no impact whatsoever on the service delivery and related accountability. The fact of the matter is that a national member of parliament will never have a direct influence over the allocation and actual spending of funds, budget
targeted for their constituency uh, because this is happening at the discretion of provinces and municipalities. In short, it is unnecessary as long as you have provinces and municipalities. Isn't that a very interesting dynamic and di- dimension perhaps that we haven't looked at, uh, Mr. Graham? No, that's a helpful point. Um, but MPs are not uh, supposed to be development uh, practitioners uh, necessarily. They're supposed to represent uh, their uh, their constituents uh, in the in the national assembly and to oversee uh, the the exercise of power and to oversee uh, the manner in which the budgets are created and allocated and ultimately spent. Um, the, 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 uh, I think all our, all our listeners are, are, are trying to find a way in which um, South Africa works better and in which uh, the members of parliament, uh, members of the legislature, local city councillors are responsive to citizens, listen to them, take their, take their concerns seriously and turn that into, into policy. And at the moment that is not working particularly well. Mm. Um, uh, and 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 they're grasping for a way to get more control over the system. They feel out of control. Um, it's not going to be resolved purely by by the electoral system. It's going to be resolved by. But people do have to now think about 2014 and how they exercise their vote, because obviously, if the balance of power begins to change in any way. That alone can improve issues of accountability. At the moment, the balance of power is such that some people, perhaps in the ANC, feel that they don't need to care as much because they might be there forever. When that begins to change, then suddenly people will be forced to care more than they perhaps do at the moment. So, so in other words, yeah, you agree with that, Hedro? No, that's really the core uh, issue, and Ms. Runji was also referring to the need to keep an eye on how society is changing. The United States and Kenya both have gone through elections. We have a, a, a president who's half Kenyan uh, running the United States. He reflects a new demographic reality in the United States, a new cultural reality in the United States, but it isn't translated yet through the election of those, those legislators who serve in the Congress that you referred to earlier, Kalani, and at the state level. That will change over time. In Kenya, there's a tribal-based electoral system that you can see the voting patterns tracking pretty closely to ethnic nationalism. Mm. That's breaking down. Young people are becoming less tribally oriented. Women are becoming more assertive. Those societal changes get reflected in the political system. It is incumbent upon citizens to be better informed and to work within the realities that they find themselves in. That's hard work, and that's why a show like this is not likely to be very conclusive. Mm. But it's really helpful to get these issues out on the table. Uh, okay, I'm going to take this call, but here's an email, and I would like my guests to think about it, because ultimately these are some of the reasons why people are saying, well, consider this electoral reform. It comes from Senzo in Maritzburg, and perhaps I'm going to ask you, Ms. Ranji, to, to, to reflect on it. Senzo says, I think the reality is that I'm a young black professional, and I have disengaged from the political system because we have lost faith in politics. So that probably is one of the reasons then why people are considering issues of uh, electoral reform. But let me hear from William and KZN first before I get your response there. William, good morning. Good morning, uh, Kevin. How are you? I'm very well. Thanks for your call. Yeah, go ahead, please, William. 
Okay, fine. Yeah, so then I was, I was, I was uh, about to comment about the, 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 the office bearers, uh, those who are mayors and, 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 and our representatives in local, local government and our MPs. Uh, people, people should understand one, 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 one thing here that, I mean, most of those people, they, they are elected by the, 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 the parties through a, a, a political process. They, they, they normally elect, I mean, one person who represents their, their interests and then they put, they put him there to, to be voted for. Then that person, when he does something wrong, it's, it's not like it is the whole ANC or the whole GA which is, which is messing up there. It is an individual because he was elected, elected on the, on the, on the, on the political, political side. I mean, not looking at professionalism there. So most of the time they are messing up because they are not, uh, I mean, uh, professional on their jobs. It's, it's only a political, a political job that, uh, that, 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 that they will be doing there. So it's, 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 it's most of the time they, they, they don't do the right job because otherwise we're just putting somebody because he, he, he's our, he's our, our guy in the ANC. So we must, I mean, we must, we must put him there to represent okay. ANC. Right. At the end of the day, that person doesn't know how to, to be, I mean, to interact with the people. And at the end of the day, you find out there's a lot of uh, demonstration to say we are not getting what we wanted, etc. And that person could not, can't even uh, handle the, the, the pressure. It's, it is because he doesn't have the, he doesn't have the capability to, to, to run that kind of office. Okay, William and Kaiser, and thank you. Uh, I'll get responses in a minute when my guests uh, su- uh, give me the, the uh, summation, really. Uh, Sam, for instance, has sent an SMS where he says, how about lessons of Lesotho mixed member proportional system that combines PR and constituency system? I'm going to ask Mr. Graham to, to reflect on that. Uh, also, somebody says, who is my, I suppose that's a question that everyone is asking, who is my councillor? I've never seen the, the councillor in the area, doesn't answer phone, never hear uh, that he has appeared anywhere where uh, that's dot in the northwest province who wants to know who their councillor is uh, another one says how about primary elections u.s style for premiers and the president uh, also the movement of municipal officials to another portfolio when they botch things up uh, is the same uh, same thing that occurs in education departments principals botch things up in their own schools and are moved to other schools as principals how many mess up are allowed. That's ML. Uh, John in Melville says, it is pointless to say parties must be accountable to communities if there are no mechanisms in play to ensure that they are. The conversation devolves into pointless moralizing and empty abstraction. John in Melville. Um, Timothy says the DA's proposals will not work as it will not only undermine the democratic system and the part uh, to which the elected president belongs and the party to which the president belongs as the person may remind his party that he or she is elected by the people and therefore only the people can remove him. I think there's a very important point and uh, perhaps again just you, in, in wrapping up Ms. Runji reflect on what uh, John here in Melford is saying that yeah you can call on the parties to be responsible but you've got to have the, the, the mechanisms in place as well to ensure that that accountability happens. That is very true, Polani, and it's incumbent on political parties to find innovative ways of encouraging a culture of con- accountability with, within their own structures. And secondly, just to uh, respond to Senzo and, and his disengagement, I'd like to say that passivity and apathy on the part of, of citizens is not the answer. We need to engage, and this discussion that has been raised by the DA is an important discussion. Uh, if we do not uh, have a political culture where uh, citizens demand accountability um, there is no way that it will be realized in our system we 
need an educated and well-informed electorate, an electorate that uh, is knowledgeable about what government is supposed to do, which level of government is responsible for what, in order for them to be able to enforce accountability. Secondly, Kolane, um, uh, opposition parties also have a responsibility to play here. They must work hard to win the hearts and minds of voters on the ground and convince them of their relevance. Opposition parties cannot uh, merely call for institutional changes such as altering the electoral system, hoping that it will strengthen their own positions. And and lastly, um, just, 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 just to wrap it up, uh, we need uh, to establish and entrench higher standards of merit and integrity uh, for prospective politicians and public officials. They need to know that South Africans expect a certain level of service and, and, and thereby live by that standard. Sure, uh, most certainly. Mr. Graham, your, your, your thoughts finally? Two quick thoughts. The one is uh, there should be a mechanism in our society for constantly monitoring and improving the electoral system, and it can't only be left to the parties. They will always act in their own interests. Um, there isn't at the moment. And secondly, if people are concerned about the quality of, of MPs, then they should get involved in uh, party candidate selections. Now is a good time uh, to not just wait for the 2014 elections, but mm. actually get involved in a political party themselves. Prof? Next year is the 20th anniversary of celebrating South African democracy. You have a lot to be proud of. The Electoral Institute for Sustainable Development, Democracy in Africa, hosting a major conference in Santon this week for all of the African countries to come together and talk about their 20 years of electoral experience. Mm -hmm. This is a conversation which is going on continent-wide. It's significant that they hold this conversation in Johannesburg. I really thank you very much all for your time this morning, Dr. John Strimlau, Vice President, Peace Programs at the Jimmy Carter Center here with me in Johannesburg, as well as Mr. Paul Graham, Executive Director of the Institute for Democracy in South Africa, Itasa, and Numpu Melelorunji, Researcher and Public Policy Analyst, joining us from our Pretoria studios. Thank you all. Thank you for listening to our program. Thank you very much for the SMSs, emails, as well as calls.